Hello, friends. Welcome to the Latter-day Lives podcast. The Latter-day Lives podcast is not owned or operated by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Any opinions expressed or implied in this recording are solely those of the host and guests and not of any specific organization unless otherwise stated. We have got a fantastic show for you today. We've got a very exciting guest coming up for you. First of all, I want to thank our sponsor. Uh, Our sponsor is Professional Cable. You know, to set up a little podcast studio like this requires an incredible number of cables, USB cables and splitters and power cords. I could have run out to the big box store and paid way too much. I could have gotten online and who knows the quality I would have gotten. Instead, I went to the experts at Professional Cable. Check out buyprocable.com. That's B-U-Y procable.com. Don't know what cable you need? Just give them a call. They've got experts on uh, staff who can walk you through what kind of cables you need. They've got great turnaround times and they can ship anywhere in the United States. That's buyprocable.com. All right, on to our interview this week. Uh, Very excited. We actually have something really interesting this week. Uh, We've got a guest, very exciting for the show. We've got a guest who has worked on such movies as Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Out of the Shadows, Pacific Rim, Thor, Tron Legacy, Transformers, just a few movies you may have heard of and probably have seen. We also have on the show an amazing author, a best-selling Amazon author of children's books uh, such as Chum and the whole Ever Taster series. Here's the riddle for us. We only have one guest on the show. That's because our guest is Adam Sidwell. Adam, welcome to the show. Thanks. Good to be here, Sean. Happy to be a guest. Glad to have you on. It's not often that you get to have someone who has worked on all these big budget, amazing movies and is an amazing author. So we're excited to talk to you and let's uh, let's jump into it again. Thanks for being on the show. So tell us a little bit about uh, Adam Sidwell. Tell us a little bit about where you're from and where you grew up and a little bit of your history. Sure. Okay. Well, uh, I started out in Modesto, California, where I was born. Uh, that's, you know, Central Valley, Central Valley California. California. Yeah, that's right. Uh, a lot of agriculture out there. A lot of agriculture. George Lucas comes from there. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. American Graffiti, if you've ever seen the movie. Oh, I didn't know that was filmed out there. That was uh, filmed and it's the story takes place in Modesto, California. I had no idea. So I've been there many times. Yeah, that's the truth. And uh, I grew up there. Um, then I, when I was 18, I, I went off to college at Brigham Young University and uh, was there for a year until I served a mission in in Norway. In Norway, that's wow. right. Yep. So every time you see the movie Frozen, are you just transported? Isn't that a Norway? It, are they in Norway? Very, very close. Very yeah. close. It was just like that, right? Ice castles everywhere. Oh, all over the place. They, 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 everyone dresses that way too. Yeah, I've never been in Norway, but I assume it's exactly like Frozen. <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, so after your mission. After my mission, I, I returned home, uh, returned back to BYU, and I started studying animation. Uh, and at the time, the uh, BYU really has a, a, an extraordinary animation program. But at the time, it was um, just an offshoot of the industrial design program. And it was pretty much a couple of guys gathered in a room with some computers and a professor. So was animation not involved in the film program at all? No, it was uh, it was part of design. Uh, and there would be a few connections, maybe here and there, but mostly uh, mostly part of design. And then it went over to engineering, actually, oh, for wow. a while. Yeah, and now there's uh, the BYU Center for Animation, 
And uh, that has grown extraordinarily uh, since then. Uh, but at the time, you know, it was just a, a couple guys in a room and we were sitting there trying to figure out how to do animation. And we had to still take these funny industrial design classes about designing toasters and, and tennis shoes. And uh, we thought, hey, we just want to get done with that so we can go make our student film here. And um, there was uh, there was a film that we worked on that was called Lemmings. In fact, I think you can even see it on YouTube. And it's called Lemmings. It's called Lemmings. Cool, yeah. Cool. And it's a Brigham Young University production. It's about uh, five minutes long. It's a cartoon, uh, a computer animated um, short film. And uh, we submitted and that. What to year festivals. was this made? This uh, was finished in 2003. Okay. So the animation by computer then was still really evolving. It was definitely evolving. Yeah. Uh, it, it had already come along quite far, but. You know, uh, this at this time, you know, think about uh, Lord of the Rings was coming out. Okay, all right. So the first Spider-Man was coming out. So it was really coming into its own. It was really coming into its own. Cool. Uh, there had been a lot of things done, but they were mostly, you know, small shots here and there that uh, were being inserted into the films. But about that time, there was this revolution in computer graphics. Now, if you can think back and remember to prior to 2003, movies really didn't have a lot of visual effects. They didn't have um, the same, you know, fantasy element that they do now because most of the films weren't capable or people weren't capable of creating that uh, except on a smaller level. But computers got faster. Uh, people spent more time learning about them and the industry matured. And uh, we had the computer graphics revolution. So you made Lemmings. I made Lemmings. And then where did that take you? Well, so from there, we started to show parts of it to uh, various studios. And they go, wow, these guys out in Utah are doing something here. <laughs> That's great. And uh, there were a couple of graduates from BYU that were at um, they were at uh, Digital Domain. One was uh, Vern Wilbert. And uh, Vern's just a great guy. Uh, and he had been you know, studying computer graphics and animation prior to that at BYU. And uh, he said, Hey, we like some of this stuff. Uh, we like what you're doing. Why don't you guys come out here and work on a film for us? And uh, there were about five of us who graduated from the program and moved to digital domain and started to work on the feature iRobot. Okay. You, you got to know that this is like not the typical story. <laughs> like to our listeners. I mean, this is what people like dream of and the story should be, and I spent the next 10 years groveling, you know, and you're discovered. That's incredible. I mean, that speaks a lot to your talent. Well, thank you. Thank what a you. blessing too. I mean, holy cow. It really was. It was incredible because uh, I graduated and then 10 days later I was in Hollywood working on a movie <laughs> and uh, I was just ecstatic and over the moon. And, you know, it, it took a lot of faith uh, sure. because during those five years, I, you know, I, I spent five years in college I was uh, doing animation plus a computer science degree. Uh, during those five years, I remember just sitting around with our fellow animators saying things like, man, if we could ever get jobs, I wonder if we'll ever get jobs. And, <laughs> and there was this, there was this almost this divide, this uh, wide gulf between Provo, Utah and Los Angeles, California. Sure. How can I ever get there and jump over that gap and, and start to work on these films that there's just like, it was like, it was a goal for a wall that just seemed uh, impenetrable. So here's, here's a, here's a simple, small question. 
What was it like getting into Hollywood from Provo? Jumping into Hollywood straight from Provo. Okay, so that was a bit of a culture shock. I can imagine. Um, if you've ever lived in Los Angeles, you know that it's very different from Provo. In fact, I, I almost thought um, that Modesto, California was more similar to Provo, Utah than Los Angeles. I, I would agree with that. I spent a lot of time in LA and Modesto is similar to Provo. It, it is in yeah. so many ways. Um, there's something about big cities that is a different lifestyle, a different culture. Um, a lot of what you have in big cities are it's so expensive to live. Sure. So a lot of the families leave. And so what you're left with is a bunch of um, single men and women mm. who, you know. Have, so you were single at the time. I was single at the time. Yeah. I was single so you went to a singles ward in Hollywood. I did. Was I it did. a lot of people trying to make it in film in that ward? Oh, it was incredible. It, it, was, it was interesting. So it was the Santa Monica Third Ward in the Santa Monica Stake in West L.A. And... Uh, um, it's on, on Sawtell Boulevard and you arrive there and there's kind of, they have this new member class that, uh, everyone comes there and, and, uh, half, you know, half the class is um, young ladies and half the class is young men. And, and, uh, there's people there. Oh, I'm here for, you know, I'm here cause I'm going to be a director or I'm here because yeah. I'm going to be an actor. Or I'm going to be famous. I'm going to get discovered. And, um, and, and, surprisingly uh it's a a large percentage of that ward so it must have been really exciting during uh like classes and whatnot people just being dramatic <laughs> was it uh were, were classes a little bit more <laughs> testimony interesting meetings. Yeah, testimony, testimony meetings are spectacular i i would there. bet i would bet the emotion is just outrageous there well so. in fact i think there was a time when the bishop had to um put a moratorium on singing testimonies Wow. And say, hey, you know what, guys, we, we just can't, we can't have, we have too many singing testimonies. We need to bring it back down to. That is not thoughts. a common problem in most congregations. It, it's not. Most, it's not. Most <laughs> wards don't have a lot of singing testimonies. But there so, were, there was. Wow, that's neat, though. What yeah, a neat experience. It really was. It really was. So you, so you kept working in LA. I kept and working then in LA. When did you meet your wife? So I met my wife about five years later later. So you were in LA working for five years? Not quite. Um, okay. I, I worked in LA for about 14 months on the first show, iRobot. Will Smith film? Will Smith film. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, I got a job in Wellington, New Zealand. Oh, working on wow, that's right. Peter Jackson's King Kong. My goodness. And that was spectacular. And that, you know, that was really fun because... Um, I'd been in Norway on a mission and I traveled around. I'd been to Brazil and uh, visiting various countries because I love to travel, but it was really fun because I was living there and I stayed there and I lived there for 14 months. And when I, I arrived, I had to find an apartment and I had to find uh, people that, you know, were going to be my friends yeah. uh, and, and create, create a, a whole life. life. Yeah. Right. And I was still single at the time. And so, so, so how is it being a single member of the church in New Zealand while working on a film. I mean, I'm trying to put those pieces together in my head. It's wonderful. Uh, yeah. It's wonderful. I, I think so. So when I arrived, uh, you know, it's interesting because it, uh, there was, there's some guys at work. They, they said, well, you know, what are you, you're arriving here. What are you going to do? And I thought, well, I, 
I've already got a family <laughs> waiting for me. I just show up at circle. the Institute building, yeah. <laughs> you know, and show up at church on Sunday. And there it is. Um, and, and there's people who, you know, had me over and, uh, were, were making dinner and I was having, uh, dinners with my Samoan friends where they have this big feed. And so, uh, so you must've had the single best singles ward pickup line of all time. You're an American in New Zealand. You got single girls there in the singles ward walking up going, excuse me, I just got here. I'm from the <laughs> States. I'm working on a Peter Jackson film called King Kong. Uh, what's going on? I mean, that's like instant pickup line, right? <laughs> and you must have been very popular in the singles ward in New Zealand, I would, I would guess. <laughs> well, I didn't get married at the time, so yeah. I guess it wasn't that popular. <laughs> but I was waiting. I was waiting for my wife. So, yeah, that's right. Um, I had to so, have the right one come along. No, but it was fun. It was really fun. It was a, it was a good way experience. to to meet people and I still have friends from that era that they come over to the States and I see them and I I still hope that I can get back to New Zealand really soon. And it it, it was interesting because, uh, when I moved there, I I remember one of the guys saying, you know, so are you going to be able to find some Mormons here? One of the guys at work. And I thought, (laughs) Oh, well, yeah, the, the church is right down there. And I love the Wellington ward and there's just a lot of good friends there. And awesome. Yeah. So that takes you, then you leave New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Did you go back to LA? Then I went, I actually went back to Provo, Utah because I needed a quiet place where I could write. Okay. Uh, so now we're jumping into some writing. Now we're jumping into the writing. So let's so, backtrack a little bit. When did you realize you wanted to be a writer? I think that happened gradually. Uh, you know, that was one of my dreams when I was in third grade, but so was being an astronaut and being an animator. So based on your life so far, did you become an astronaut? Cause I'm ready to believe anything, right? Now. <laughs> I did go to space camp. And did you really? Yeah. I was the commander for the space shuttle endeavor mission. That is awesome. But we never made it to space, you know, of uh, course. Yeah, so frustrating. So I, I don't know. I, I, I like to just check that box off in my mind. Sure. But I'll, I'm I'll, hoping I'll, I'll get there. I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> okay. So, so you realized when you were young, you liked, you enjoyed writing, creative, mm-hmm. and then you started. Was this now when you moved back to Provo? Was this your first really writing something? Because this was my first real attempt. So I, um, I'd written a lot of short stories or pieces, uh, and mostly that started from journal writing. You know, we we always talk about in church about writing journals and about you know, the journals that we read from, uh, people in the past. So I think every mom and dad listening to this podcast right now is going to run and grab their children and say, you need to listen to this because journal writing can lead you to being (laughs) a very popular author. So listen to that kids. Journal writing is what got Adam his start. Uh, And it did. Um, I, I remember, you know, as a 14 year old boy, writing in my journal. And that was something that my mom did with me and my dad did with me. And I remember as a 14 year old boy thinking, okay, somebody's going to read this someday when I die. So I better write something really cool. Oh, wow. And so I embellished a little bit (laughs) in uh, in in ways that were, you know, humorous. Sure. Uh, I said, how can I describe this situation in the funniest or most interesting way for a, a mundane event in my life? How can I make it interesting? I love that you put that much into your journal writing. I think I like most people. It's hey, here's what I did today. I'm tired. Good night. I mean, I think that's all I all I ever write. So the fact that you put so much into it is incredible. That's really cool. I like to tell stories. I yeah, like to tell that's stories. That's awesome. Well, and I think that's really 
Sean, what got me into animation as well, because yeah. it was a vehicle for telling stories. And, uh, you know, we had classes on storyboarding and storytelling, and that's so connected to animation that absolutely, um, that it becomes a part of you. And w- what I realized is I'm working on these big films that it's going to be hard for me to walk down the hall and knock on the director's door and say, Hey, I got an idea. <laughs> yeah, sure. Who are you? Yeah. 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 So, um, so the best way I could do that was to start writing and all I needed was a laptop. Uh, and, and your imagination and my imagination. So you get back to Provo, you started writing. I started writing. What was the first thing you wrote that you sort of put out there? The first uh, book that I ever wrote that really went out there was Evertaster. So we get into the Evertaster world. I've been excited about this. I've been excited because Evertaster is a fascinating, fascinating world that you've created. I mean, it's an exciting world. Tell us a little bit about Evertaster. Thank you. Okay. Well, so I've seen so many different uh, books about... um, various adventures. And, and I knew that I wanted to write an adventure story. I, I love Roald Dahl and, you know, oh, the yeah. Charlie and the chocolate factory books, the BFG, uh, Danny, the you champion bet. of the world. Uh, I love Harry Potter. I love, uh, I love adventure stories. And I knew that I wanted to write this adventure story. And I wanted to write the story about these kids traveling across the world um, going to various places and running into strange things. Oh, I should also say that one of my inspirations is DuckTales. Love DuckTales. I Tales. love DuckTales. So great. And they're always off on these adventures where they run into some bit of history or some fact that's been turned on its head and we've discovered the truth behind yeah, it. Yeah, the, the real story behind it. And I love that. I love that. And so um, I wanted to tell one of those kinds of stories. But in order to do that, these kids had to ha- had to have some kind of motivation yeah. Uh, some compelling reason that they were going to leave home and go into danger and risk life and limb in order to get this MacGuffin, this thing. And so I thought, well, what, what hasn't been done before? I want to do something really funny and offbeat. And so I said, well, I'm going to write about these kids who go looking for the most delicious thing in the whole world. I love it. Absolutely love it. So they're out trying to find whatever tastes... The, be- the best tasting thing ever. That's their quest. Yes, pretty much. Because it, it's going to help rule the world. It's going to help rule the world. Amazing. Right. It's it's such an awesome, awesome concept. And there are three Evertaster books now. Is that right? There are three Evertaster books Three so Evertaster books. Right. Gosh. And it's a great world. What what ages are the Evertaster books really So they're targeted for? towards ages 8 to 13. Yeah. Um, if you have a child who is a third grader, that's usually when kids start reading it. And some second graders who are really good readers will, will pick it up as well. There are a lot of adults reading it. Uh, uh, you know, I had, uh, I get notes sometimes from 18 year olds that really love the series. Sure. So, so I, if I'm, you're a kid at heart, if you're a kid at heart, if you enjoy fantasy and excitement, right. Do you like awesome. Harry Potter? Do you like Percy Jackson? Then this is uh, a book in the same vein. So the Evertaster series has this like huge following. I mean, you've got like rabid fans. Do you just love hearing from your fans? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, a lot of times people will message me through my Facebook page. Um, there's uh, facebook.com slash Adam Glenn and Sidwell. Adam Glendon Sidwell. Adam Glendon Sidwell. That's sort of my author name. Uh, Yeah. AdamSidwell.com was taken. Yeah. And so. AdamSidwell.com was taken. Yeah. Can you believe that? There's another one out there. 
So is is do you do you know what he does? Have he you looked does, at his website? He does illustrations actually pretty awesome. No kidding. Yeah. An illustrator named Adam Sidwell. Right, right. You guys should you guys should collaborate. You know that. Oh, we really should. Adam we Sidwell really should. and Adam Glennon Sidwell. I think we've said hi to each other on the internet. That's before. impressive. Yeah. So Adam uh Facebook.com slash Adam Glennon, Glennon Sidwell. Sidwell. That's G L E N D O N. G L E N D O N. So people message you. What what what's the what's the strangest message you've gotten or the one that made you laugh the most? Oh goodness. Okay. Well, uh, I think that maybe some of the strangest messages have just been comments to kids from me when, when I see them at their schools. Yeah. Um, they, uh, so, so I have a unibrow and which means that my eyebrows connect in the middle. I have never noticed that, Yeah. but now I'm sitting across from you. I do see it. And you can see that. And so some of the kids will say that, how come your eyebrows connect in the middle? (laughs) <laughs> that's what one of the kids will say. So that's one of the, that's some of the funny messages that you I gotta get. Love it. Or um, they'll tell me, "Hey, were you were you that guy um, Gail in Hunger Games?" Oh, you so, do look a little bit like Gail from oh, Hunger okay. Games. I get that. That's a compliment. Yeah, Gail's a good-looking so. guy. He's a he's a handsome movie star, <laughs> right? That's and awesome. uh, or they or they a couple of the kids asked me if I was Jacob the werewolf from Twilight. Oh, wow! So. Yeah, that's it's amazing what kids think, you know, <laughs> it is. that it's you really must great. be a star. Well, so when you're writing, I mean, how much does like the church and your testimony, how much of that like makes it into your stories? Is there anything from it? Is it morals or is there just nothing? Yeah, ab- absolutely. There are uh, morals in, in my background as a Latter-day Saint member of the church that make it into my books, you know. Whether you like it or not as an author, whether you try to or not, your worldview will come across in your writing because that's what your frame of reference is. You know, Philip Pullman, who writes the uh, Dark Materials Golden Compass book, he's very much an atheist. And you can feel that Mm. as you read his stories. Uh, And I think as you read mine, I I hope that you're inspired and that you find uh, some stories about family and about tight knit bonds, about people trying to do good. So tell us a little bit more about the book. So basically, the story centers around Guster, who is 11 years old, and he's a boy who's the pickiest eater in the whole world. He can taste such subtle nuances in everything he eats, such as you know when he can taste what kind of grass the cows ate that gave the milk that is in his ice cream. <laughs> you know, I actually think I may have a kid like that. Do you? Okay. Who <laughs> seems to, well, when they, when they don't want to eat something, they'll tell me everything that's wrong with it at least. Well, and that's, that's actually some of the messages I get from parents a lot is, oh, my son is an ever taster. You know, my daughter's an ever taster. And it's a real thing. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. become a thing. Um, you know, and they, they try to give their kid the book and say, here, read this. And, and one of the stories is really funny. And, uh, the parent wrote me and said that, uh, that her, she tried to give it to her daughter and her daughter took one look at it and read the back and goes, this is not going to work on me, mom. (laughs) (laughs) She could see right through. She knew exactly what her mom was doing. Don't even try it. (laughs) Love it. So because, because of this, uh, they go, they get, um, by happenstance, this, uh, egg beater that contains a map inscribed on the handle. Love it. And they, have to decipher these clues, which take them all across the world, searching for these mystical ingredients that create something they don't know what, and they have to piece together all the pieces of the puzzle. Um, and mom is along the way for the ride. 
and it's really fun because she's don't go in that cave, you know. Sure, being hold a mom. on the handrail, put on your safety belt. She's, she's a real mom. She's a real mom, yeah, and she is conflicted because she wants to just go home where they'll be safe. But as the story escalates, she realizes that if she doesn't help her son find this thing, awesome, it may turn out really badly for him. And that's what everyone's warning her about. And that's and that's the role of a mom. That's the role of a mom. And that's the Evertaster series. So will will there be more? Books in the Evertaster series? There will. I'm planning on another book. Uh, what we have is Evertaster, the first one, and then we have um, uh, The Buttersmith's Gold, which is a novella, which spins off and tells the story of some of the most uh, loved characters in the first book, Torbjorn and Storfjell. They're these two wacky Vikings that you meet along the way. <laughs> and then you have uh, The Delicious City, which came out uh, last September. And that one is about Guster and his family, um, finding themselves in a faraway city hidden uh, where there's some amazing food treasures that they could never have imagined. Incredible. And the reviews, I mean, just amazing what people write. Uh, I mean, everybody loves these books. So in the meantime, you wrote another book where I, I could not describe it if I tried with Chum. <laughs> Chum. Yes. Now, I, now, keeping in mind, Adam is a faithful member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and was not under the influence of anything when he wrote <laughs> Chum. Uh, Adam, why don't you explain the incredible story of your book, Chum? Okay, thank you. Uh, and, and Sean, this is, I get this a lot, and this is what I call my most offbeat, quirky book. Oh, and for sure. It, it and those are some of the reviews. I had somebody email me once and say, "What? Where is this book going? I have no idea." Um, but it's one of the kids' most favorite. It's one of their favorite books. At I schools, can imagine they go crazy for. Oh, it. it's awesome! It's um, the story is incredible. So, well, give us a little you. bit of background on Chum. So, Chum is basically kind of this uh, this story that helped me encapsulate a lot of my experiences of moving from Utah to Los Angeles. Uh, it's about a 13 year old boy who really wants to be famous. And he's sort of a reflection of, uh, a lot of the people that I met there who were there to make it big, there to make it in movies, there to make it as an actor or director or whatever it may be, who had these dreams. I think there's a little bit of that in all of us. I know there's that in me for sure. in me, um, we all want to do something that's yeah. really great that people right. say, wow, that's really cool. And so this is the story about, Levi, and it's very much written from the perspective of a 13 year old scatterbrained boy who his emotions are not in check and they're, they're going through this puberty stage where they're firing off in every single direction as he's trying to um, find out who he is and discover his own identity. Sure. And so I wrote that from a place where I very much tapped into my own 13 year old boy and he gets on the ship. He's invited by um, a movie producer to be on this TV show. Which is like every kid's dream. We all we all think about, I want to be a TV star. So we it feeds right into... TV stars. Yeah, it feeds right into what every kid dreams about. Exactly. And so he does it, but he doesn't tell his dad. And we as readers realize, okay, something shady is going on here. But he's 13 yeah, years old sure. and he just wants to be famous. So he gets yeah. on this ship and there's a lot of other people with him. And they jump on the ship and they find out that it's this reality show. And as soon as they set sail, he discovers that if he loses this game, this game of chum, then he gets thrown overboard. Yeah, to the sharks. To the sharks. To the sharks. To the sharks. And he 
he's thinking to himself, well, um, I, I can swim back to shore. I can make it. But every day the ship gets a little bit further and a mm. little bit further. And he wonders, he's like, how, how far can I really swim? Can I really make it? And so it's this wacky story of uh, a little bit of science fiction, yeah. um, some technology, uh, some. What a great, what a great plot. And talk about great messages. Hey, kids, don't take candy from strangers. And, <laughs> don't take candy and, from and, strangers. And don't get on ships for TV shows where they might throw you off. That's right. If you don't collect enough smiley face little balls, right? That's right. That's an awesome message. I tell my kids that all the time. That's never, ever, message. ever, never ever do, do that. that. If that ever, ever comes that. up, don't do that. <laughs> so are, do you spend more of your time now working on film or writing? It's a little bit of a, a mixture. Uh, I, after having uh, published these books and gone out and uh, you know sold them in Costco, Barnes and Noble, had book signings all over the country, uh, I started a publishing company so we could do some of the same for other authors. And we have almost fifty books now. Awesome! It's called Future House Publishing. Futurehousepublishing.com. You can see uh, we have some children's books. And then science fiction and fantasy books. So that has spent a lot of my that has taken a lot of my time over That's the past great. few years. Uh, and then I will um, also do film, go back and forth to LA to do more movies or San Francisco. Uh, I was just working on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and currently I'm uh, working on some virtual reality projects. Oh, that's fantastic. In the author world, are there other LDS authors that you're friends with? Like, is there a community? of, I guess, uh, adolescent writers that are LDS? Absolutely. Absolutely. There's actually a very thriving community of LDS writers. Um, there's even a conference, uh, Story Makers, that occurs every year in And May. is that LDS specific? It is, uh, it is LDS specific in that wow. um, it is mostly members of the church, but everyone's invited. And it started out as... Uh, a place where LDS writers could gather and connect. And now the conference has grown. Uh, they fly in agents from New York and editors from all the major uh, publishing companies and uh, all the major agent houses to come meet these authors because there's really something going on here in, in Utah and with authors uh, from the that LDS held? community. Uh, it's usually held in Provo uh, at the conference center. If you look up um, LDS Storymakers... Uh, okay. You can find information about that. And it's really interesting. It's um, it's a great community of people who are trying to make it as writers or people who are published or people um, who are you know, doing really well as writers as well. Awesome. So it's a great place to meet. I'll bet there's a lot of support between. Well, in fact, the first review I read of Evertaster was maybe the most well-known LDS sci-fi author, um, which is Orson. Orson Scott Card. Scott Card. Yes. I, for some reason, I was going to say Pratt. Orson Pratt. It was not Orson Pratt. It was not, no. <laughs> Orson Scott Card. Orson so Scott tell Card. us who Orson Scott Card is. Oh, that's right. So Orson Scott Card uh, wrote Ender's Game. Ender's Game. Which yeah. is, uh, you know, obviously it came out as a movie a few years ago. And, uh, Harrison Ford. Harrison was Ford in that, was in no it. Less. Yes. Right. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Harrison Ford was there. Yeah. So he's a he's a big time author, and he, he wrote a glowing review of Evertaster. He did. It was it was really nice uh, to get that uh, from him, and, and especially as someone I I look up to as a writer, and who's been incredibly helpful to me in the industry. 
uh, he has, uh, I, I, I attended classes, some of the classes that he gave and that, that helped me early on. And in fact, I came up with the idea for the Evertaster series during one of his classes. How awesome. Uh, and so I, you know, I gave him a book and, and I said, thank you so much. And, and, uh, he, he agreed to allow me use to use that, uh, endorsement. And it's been wonderful. In fact, uh, a couple years back, he even purchased the film rights oh, for wow. Evertaster. So very um, cool. That's been in development. Uh, his, uh, his partner on the project has been writing scripts and uh, reaching out to producers and, and we're excited as that moves forward. Uh, and, you know, film takes a long time, uh, a long yeah. time to, to get ready for, but sure. But it's been a wonderful collaboration. So, so let's get back a little bit to, we, we kind of got off on, on books and film. Let's go back to your family. You met your wife five years after you moved to LA. How long have you been married now? Let's see. We've been married seven years. Seven years. Almost seven and a half. And, and you have how many children? We have three kids. Three kids. Adorable great. kids. Love them. Beautiful we, uh, kids. Five, ages five, three, and one. Yeah. So and it's it's quiet in your home. <laughs> very quiet. Quiet, night, boring, nothing going on. After nine o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> well, until about 3 a.m. And yeah. that's when it starts up again. So as, a, as an LDS father, husband, how do you juggle? You're traveling to LA. You're promoting books. How do you how do you balance all that and keep a celestial marriage together? Well, it's a challenge, like everybody has uh, with their challenges and schedules, and and uh, I found that I have to really watch my travel schedule. Uh, I was in scouts, eleven year old scouts was my calling for a while, and that got to be really hard because I was gone most Tuesday nights when the scouts would meet, and uh, so. Now I'm in Sunday school. Uh, I'm a Sunday school teacher, and uh, that actually works out really well uh, because I'm home on weekends and I'm able to uh, fulfill my calling in a better way. So there's some there's some of those where uh, where you know you have to adapt and change and try to find ways. And I've I've reduced my travel schedule a lot over the last year, uh, but recently have been traveling a lot to Los Angeles for various projects. So it's tough. You know, um, last week I was, I was gone all week and I didn't get to see my kids and so, until Friday. I flew out on Monday and came back on a Friday afternoon. But when I got back, we, we drove straight from the airport to the library and we played with the kids there. And, um, my wife and I took them out to, to eat. And, um, then we went shopping together and we spent about, uh, six hours together just doing nice. family errands, which was wonderful to me. And I, I didn't even care that I didn't go straight from the airport home because basically that minivan was our home and that <laughs> was fine. Wherever those kids awesome. are and my wife is, that's, that's where home is. When, when you're out in the world, uh, you're out promoting your books, you're doing book tours, or when you're working on these films, uh, do most people know that you're LDS? Do you ever find situations where it comes up? Half and half. Um, uh, a lot of times I don't know if they know. Uh, so when I go to a school, um, I'll find that uh, a lot of times they'll say, oh, where did you go to college? And I'll say Brigham Young University. And there'll always be a kid in the back who's wearing their BYU shirt. And they say, 
you know, they shake their hands and they, they smile. Get excited. They get excited and they raise their hand and they say, are you LDS? Are you? Or they'll come ask me afterward. And I say, yes, I am. Uh, that's fantastic. And that's really fun. And, and, and actually what's great about it too, is a lot of members of the church have taken me into their homes, uh, to let me stay with them and, and, uh, have, and I, as I visited their kids' schools, and that's been wonderful uh, because I get to meet a lot of people, and I get to to know different families, and they're still friends now, and and uh, we're able to stay in contact, and it's uh, it's been great because I get to see um, get to see those you know friends from from all throughout my life uh, come to my book signings or or places where people I haven't seen for years or wouldn't know where I'd ever see them again. I get to run into them. And, uh, back to your, but back to your question about being LDS, a lot of times that question will come up and they'll ask and they'll say, yeah, I go to BYU and then they'll find out and they'll know that. And, um, and I hope that comes through in my conduct and also in, uh, the types of art that I'm making. Yeah. Oh, I think it's a great reflection. Well, this has been a, a fascinating discussion. Adam, you have such a, an interesting life, and we really appreciate you taking some time. In closing, while we still have another minute with you, just uh, love to get your thoughts on what what is your favorite or are some of your favorite things about being a member of the church in this crazy life you lead? Like, what does what does being a member of the church do for you when you're traveling when you're going through all these things how does the gospel help you in your life two things number one i love the community i love the community the fellowship with the saints being able to go anywhere and being able to meet people and uh have that common bond with them and be able to um find friends immediately but the second thing i think is is even more important uh when you're traveling and when you're in different parts of the country or different parts of the world, there's, you'll find that there's kind of a, an average mindset or typical mindset, depending on that area that you go, you know, the opinions that are, that are the popular opinion in that place or the ideas. And it can be, uh, very, you could feel tossed about, uh, like the waves of the sea, but having, uh, a knowledge of what God wants me to be and what God wants me to do. And knowing that that transcends, um, any culture, uh, or any, um, popular opinion, uh, wherever it may be in the country or in the world, knowing what God wants me to do and that I'm his child, uh, is something that really, helps me to know who I am and have that identity wherever I go. That's perfect. Well, that that's just awesome. Adam, this has been an absolute pleasure. We'll be excited to see the next Ever Taster, see where it goes, and uh, the big films that you work on, and we'll just be be excited to stay in touch and see what's next. Thank you so much for, for spending time with us here on uh, Latter-day Lives. We appreciate it. You're very welcome, Sean. It's my pleasure. And now for my Latter-day Life. Uh, this is Pioneer Day this week. Uh, in fact, this podcast is being released 
on Pioneer Day. What is Pioneer Day? Well, for Mormons, it's the day that we celebrate the pioneers coming into the Salt Lake Valley after they had been uh, chased out of so many places and persecuted. They came into the Salt Lake Valley to find a, a peaceful place. They came across really unforgiving terrain with hand carts, went through unimaginable things. It was just crazy. Uh, I had an opportunity this week to speak in church on what it means to have a pioneering heart. Uh, People ask themselves, would I make for a good pioneer? I've asked myself that question, could I have done it? And I know that for myself, the answer is easy. I can say, yes, I would have packed everything into a handcart. Yes, I would have started walking with my family. And yes, I would have kept going. And I would have walked and walked and walked until I got a blister at which point I would have laid down next to the path and just waited for the sweet relief of death because I don't deal with pain well. I don't like to be too cold. I don't like to be too hot. I would not have made a great pioneer. That's basically what I'm trying to say here. But I was really glad that I was able to do this uh, talk in sacrament meeting because a pioneering heart does not mean that you would make for a great pioneer. No, a pioneering heart means that you are willing to try new things, that you're willing to put up with adversity, that you're willing to push through even when times are difficult. It means that you are in your own life, uh, striking out somewhere maybe that, that you've never been before, doing something that you've never done before to help build up the kingdom of God. I'll give you an example of how I'm trying to be a pioneer, and you're listening to it right here. About six months ago, I had the idea for this podcast, and for six months, I did absolutely nothing about it. A little bit more than a week ago, I woke up on a Saturday morning, and I could no longer contain myself. I had to do this podcast. So I went out that morning uh, and took a look at equipment. I had no idea what I was doing, but I knew it wasn't going to be super cheap. I needed a new laptop and microphones and cables and everything else. And, and so I talked to my wife and I said, you know what, honey, this is going to be, it's going to be some money up front. It's going to take some time. And my wife said, you bet you do that. And she supported me. I didn't even know really where to start, but my friends, Brian Braden and Sean run an amazing podcast. You should check it out. If you're a Disneyland fan, it's uh, called word on the main street. I called up my friend, Sean from word on the main street podcast And I said, Sean, I'm starting a podcast. I don't know what I'm doing. Sean spent about an hour walking me through everything I would need and everything I would need to do. I knew nothing about podcasts just over a week ago. Found out I needed a logo. I called my friend Tracy Smith. Tracy's been a longtime friend, an amazing designer. We actually work together. And Tracy said, you bet. And you are not paying me a dime for it. And then I needed a guest. And one of the most interesting guys I know, Adam Sidwell, I called him up and he said, absolutely. I said, Adam, we may have zero listeners. And he said, Sean, I don't care. This podcast needs to happen. And then I needed a bunch of cables and I called my friend Jason, one of my best friends over at Professional Cable. And he hooked me up with the cables and I said, well, I'm at least going to do an ad for you, even though no one's going to hear it. And then I put it out there. That was scary to put it out there that I'm going to do a podcast because I knew nothing about what I was going to do. And everyone was so supportive. People were saying, I can't wait to listen. Hey, we support you. We can't wait. It's going to be great. People started sharing it on their Facebook page, on their Instagram accounts, whatever. People were sharing this. And I feel so loved and I feel so grateful. I am doing my best to be a pioneer. This may or may not have been the best podcast. I'll try to get better each week. But I'm doing it. 
I'm not sitting around and I'm think, not just uh, thinking about it. And I think that's what it means to have a pioneering heart. I am doing my best and I know you are too. So let's make it a great week and get out there. And what else can we do to build up the kingdom? It's uh, exciting. The whole point of view of the, the podcast is to talk to interesting people who happen to be Mormon and to talk about how our faith affects our lives and everything that we do. Well, I'll just tell you from my own point of view, it affects everything, everything in my life. And I'm so grateful for all of you that listen to this. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. You know what? If you enjoyed the show, there is nothing that would help us more than good ratings. If you could go over and give us five stars on iTunes or on Google Play, boy, those reviews are what really helps us get uh, noticed uh, in the rankings. Again, the show's available on iTunes, Google Play, and SoundCloud. We're planning on launching a new episode every Monday. I'm so excited about next week's guest or guests. Hmm? But not ready to say who they are just yet. Uh, But look for that announcement coming soon. If you want to follow us on social media, Twitter, we are ladder-day underscore lives. Could I have made that any more difficult? Ladder-day underscore lives. Facebook is facebook.com slash latter-day lives podcast. And if you want to email me, if you got questions, a suggestion for a guest, if you want to tell me what I can do better, which I know there's a lot, it's sean at latterdaylives.com. That's S-H-A-W-N at latterdaylives.com. Again, thank you so much for listening, and thanks to everybody for the tremendous amount of support. We'll look forward to seeing you next week. And until then, remember, there's a great, big, beautiful world out there. Go be in it, just not of it. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>